Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat. So this hospitality series, now you're not going to be hearing much from me this morning because actually we're going to play a video of a talk that I heard earlier this year. And that's not something that we do very often. This is probably the third time in the history of Bay Vineyard. Once was an intentional one. Another time... Um, our guest speaker had to fly home that morning because uh, of a family emergency, and so we played a video because <laughs> I was overseas, and, uh, and this morning. So this is a big deal. We don't just trot this out because Harvey's had a big week, and what else can we, you know, what can we find? This talk that you're about to watch is one of the most, it's 22 minutes of some of the most life-changing, challenging words I've heard in a long time, um, and connects to this whole hospitality series. Um, I just want to say this. We live in this very hyper- this hyper-individualistic world uh, where everyone's just isolating themselves, and we also live in a world in terms of faith where we've privatized our faith massively, and it's just about me and Jesus. Uh, and what this hospitality series is trying to do is push against the hyper-individualization and the privatization of the Christian faith, and so no, we gather around the table as a community together. We are devoted to fellowship together. So you've got to fight against the particular uh, kind of natural trajectory of our world, and we choose to open our homes, and we choose to welcome people to the table in the same way we have been welcomed to the table by our Lord God. Everyone is welcome at this table. And so uh, there's, there's, there's something so beautiful. And as I say, I have just been loving watching the selfies and sneakies come through. Absolutely moving. Keep them coming. This is not just a four-week thing on hospitality. There's a four-week sermon series, but it's a term-wide focus for us as a church. We're leaning in to growing in the biblical spiritual discipline of hospitality together. So I'd love everyone in our church to have done at least one table. Invite people around your home to some sort of table. We've talked all about that. Now, what we haven't explored heaps is just the potent missional dynamite that hospitality is. Like, this is how the world gets changed, is through acts of hospitality. It's, as I said in the first sermon, it's actually how the kingdom advances. Jesus, in, uh, in the Gospels, he's either going to a meal or from a meal. <laughs> like, so much of his ministry life is centered around the table. How cool is that? 
So what we're going to do is we're going to watch this talk, and then I'm going to give some concluding thoughts. Um, but this is really to help us, as we finish the series, consider what this means missionally for us. So this is a talk by Jay Pathak. He's the National Director of the Vineyard in the States. Uh, and you'll love, that this, the, you'll love the vineyard a little bit more when you just see how wonderful this man is. Um, and uh, this talk has messed me up, and I'm still eating conviction burgers and this will be about the 10th time I've watched it. And I'm not looking forward to it, but at least we get to share it together, okay? Ramon, we, let's hit play. We haven't... I just want to share a bit of my story with you because that's really all we have in the end, right? Is the life that we've gotten to live, the things that God has showed us. And I don't know, you might not be like me, but I think most people are like me in that most of the things I've grown in my life in have not come through like well-reasoned, educated moments. It's come through crisis, like things go wrong, and then you have to realize, wait a minute, I've, I got to change something. Is there anybody like that? Okay, and then the rest of you were just too lazy to raise your hand. That's fine. It's totally fine. I get it. I just, just know how this really works. Uh, I was radically transformed and saved by Jesus. Uh, I was reading the scriptures in my room one night, and I had an encounter with God. Uh, I'd been raised in church. I didn't know anybody in church. Uh, the only thing I'd known about church is one time I went to a funeral when I was in like sixth grade. I remember it vividly because I remember asking my mom, uh, why is there a, a naked man hanging on the wall? Some of you are like, what kind of church was that? Um, it was, that one, if, you, if you didn't think that all the way through, that was Jesus. I, I so you're like, what, what? That's Jesus. It's strange to see people tortured in public. So that's how little I knew. I didn't know anything about Jesus. So I was radically transformed through this encounter. And out of that, of course, I ended up in a church. And, and so sort of the evangelistic fire in my heart was almost instant because I wanted my friends to know Jesus. And so I ended up in a growing church where kind of a job that I had was to throw like big parties and try to get people to come. You ever done one of these? Like we'll do a concert or something, we get people to come and then, you know, you get all your friends to bring friends and then you try to Jesus them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you kind of trick them and then you, Jesus. So that's what I did for a living. That's a job. And, and, and I had just done one of these where we'd set it up where it was going to be like 2,000 people and, you know, we've done radio and all this stuff. And if you've ever run an event like this, you've had this moment where you do everything. Band's there, lights are right. We've got like a whole light kit, a big band. We're set up for 2,000 people. And right before we're going to start, it occurs to me, I don't know if anybody's coming. So I just start calling all my friends desperately, like, please bring your friends, whatever it takes. I am going to be fired unless humans show up. It's a lot of money. And I think we were set up for a couple thousand, and we had somewhere in the neighborhood of like 108. Like, I don't know if you've been in a room set up for 2,000 with 100 people, and the band is playing as though there's 20,000 people. It's jarringly bad. And I left that room with my friends, just trying to think out what my next job was going to be. 
And, and you know, I, I, you've ever, have you ever known that you're in trouble at work so you just try to avoid people the whole week at work? So I'd done that successfully. But because I was also an intern at this church, I had to do all the stuff nobody else wanted to do. So, so you end up having these pastoral meetings with like the worst possible scenarios. So I was doing that. I'd done a funeral for a child uh, in the morning. And so I'm thinking I'm going to get fired. I'd just done a funeral. And I was exhausted by the work. And I remember it because that day it occurred to me as the day was finishing that I had to go home to do a Bible study at my apartment. Um, I'm sure this isn't true for anyone else here, but I think out of all the years I've led a small group in my home, like it's decades now, I think I've looked forward to it exactly four times. <laughs> like, no more than four. Four, I rounded up to get to four. I mean, it's, it's never, like never. But this day was especially bad because I'd had all these other things happening and I'm super stressed. I'm a failure at my job. I've had this horrible day. And I remember calling my wife and saying, babe, we got to cancel small group. We just can't do it. And she goes, you, Jay, it's, it's tonight. Like it's literally tonight, like in a few hours. You can't cancel small group with three hours notice. I said, you, well, you can. Uh, you know, I'll show you how easy it is. It's very possible. But she's way more godly than me. So she said, listen, what if we just kind of split the middle? Um, and what if we did a fellowship night while people bring food? We'll hang out. Ever use this trick? Some of you right now have only been to small groups and you're like, yeah, I remember that happening that one time. That's what was happening. They didn't want to lead it. So I come home. I mean, come on. Am I, are we allowed to tell secrets? We're, anyway, I come home, and as I pull up, I, you know, if, if some of you did this to come in here tonight. I pulled up to the house, and I was sitting in my car, like trying to do that thing where I'm like, you can do this. I know you're tired of the humans. <sighs> I'm just going to eat some food. It's going to be fine. So I'm trying to gear myself up. And as I'm walking up to my apartment after having a little session with myself, I notice that people are walking in and out of my apartment. The door is open, and I don't recognize them. And I'm like, this is weird. So I, I walk into my apartment, and it's full of people I've never seen before. And in between are some people I know. I'm like, this is strange. I look over, and there's some guy I've never seen playing my guitar. I walked over, and I went, hey. He goes, hey. I go, that's my guitar. <laughs> and he looks up, and he goes, oh, you must be Jay. And I went, yep, and that's my guitar. <laughs> and here's what had happened. My wife, because, again, she's a wonderful person, that, you know, because people were coming over, she'd push the grill outside, and she just casually, as people were coming in from work to come back to their apartment, just casually said, hey, we're going to have some friends over tonight. You should come and hang out. And all the folks in my apartment complex went, okay. <laughs> so they just filled up our apartment and our, around. And here's what they said later as we got to know them. They said, you know, we, all, we watch people shuffle in and out of your house, your apartment, week after week, and we always wondered, I wonder what that's about. 
I wonder how I'd get invited to that, because they seem to be having a good time. Okay, if you didn't catch the irony, let me spell it all out for you, <laughs> just in case you didn't catch it. My job <laughs> is to get people into rooms to do Jesus things, right? That's my job. I'm bad at my job. My wife, on a whim, says you can come hang out. Way more successful. Super low dollar amount. Now, that night changed my life and changed my wife's life because it occurred to me that I didn't even know the humans that surrounded me. I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. And, I, and you know, I don't know if you've had this moment where something happens, you have a crisis, and you go back to read the Bible, and all of a sudden you realize this has been in the Bible the whole time, <laughs> like everywhere, and you didn't see it somehow. Have you, you ever had this experience? So all of a sudden, it's like just in the Bible everywhere, and I'm going, wait a minute, I, I've made a huge mistake. I get in my car to drive and do ministry, and Jesus had said something about the people that live right near me. Now, this happens all through the Bible, so I'm just going to give you one little example. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's a passage that you know very well. Uh, many of you have heard it many times. It's actually pretty known in common culture as well, so I'm just going to tell it to you. And the reason I want to tell it to you and not have you read it is so that you don't get used to the sort of the rhythm of the text, right? Like, Bible that you know, you already kind of predict what's going to happen, so just stay with me as though I'm telling you a story you've not heard before, even though you've heard it. Does that make sense? It's commonly called uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You heard this before? Well, let's do it very quickly. Jesus is doing all this stuff, and a teacher of the law comes up to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, uh, I don't know, you're a lawyer. Why don't you answer it? You're smart. This is what you do for a living. What's the answer? He says, oh, well, I mean, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your as yourself. Jesus says, good answer. Do that, and you'll live. Full stop, awkward stare. <laughs> Lawyer looks at him and says, well, and here's the key. He wanted to justify himself, so he said, and who is my neighbor? He does a lawyer trick. Anybody, any, you know any lawyers? I wanted to be a lawyer. I was studying philosophy to do law. Uh, lawyers are good with words, and they look for loopholes. That's kind of what they do. They create loopholes, or they look for loopholes. Some of you are lawyers, and you're offended. Sorry. Uh, it's true. So he says, what? He says, neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Who is my neighbor? What's a neighbor? Neighbor. Even as I keep saying it, you're like, that is a weird word. Neighbor. It sounds weird. Neighbor. Neighbor. What's a neighbor? Neighbor. He's seeking to justify himself right? Now, Jesus then tells the story. There's a man beat up on the side of the road. Three people pass by. The people that should know better, they're good religious types. 
who are supposedly living their lives to serve other people. They pass them right by. They go on the other side. And then um, along comes the bad guy and takes care of him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the equivalent of a hospital, pays for everything. And then he turns back to the lawyer and says, so who was the neighbor to the man? And he says, he can't even say the word Samaritan. He says, I suppose the one that took care of him. And then Jesus says, well, then go and do likewise. Jesus takes a definition of a neighbor and expands it to include an enemy. He says, okay, you're asking me what's a neighbor. Okay, anyone that you come across who's in need is your neighbor. Even if it's an enemy, you're to take care of them. And in this way, you fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus says another place, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your as yourself. That's what he says. So all the law and the prophets. I don't know if you look at the Bible recently. It's a big chunk. Then he takes that and he expands it to be an enemy. Now here's what I'd like to suggest to you today. I'd like to suggest to you that Jesus takes us to graduate level neighboring by an enemy because it's easy to say, okay, I haven't come across a wounded terrorist lately. (laughs) But if I did, I would be great at that. I would, I would be the guy. I'd be the girl. It'd be great. I would like to suggest that we should not be in graduate school. We need to start in kindergarten. And maybe we should consider our actual neighbors, like the people that surround. I have one slide. Can, can I have my one slide? There it is. <laughs> it's setting a record. This is a pop quiz. Who doesn't love a pop quiz? You don't love a pop quiz. That's who. Okay, here's what I want you to do. You can all do this. You can do this in your mind. You do it on your phone. You do it however you want, okay? That's like a GPS map, like a Google map. Your house is in the middle, okay? I want you to write the names of the homes that surround you. People live there. Go ahead and start. You write it. You have a pen. You have a pen. Just go ahead. Do it right there on your paper. You do too. Just, just you, you can draw that. Yep. There you go. Okay. You just, just start writing the names of people. And I just want to make sure as you're doing that, real quick, don't consult. Right now you're consulting. Don't consult. Here's the thing. Don't, you can't say cat lady. That's not her name. It's not her name. Her actual name. Okay. Some of you are doing that. In the middle of the box, you can just write, like things you know about him, like likes to play golf, is from Idaho, is a lawyer. Things you would learn talking to them. You can't say, drives a red car. Cheating. As we, some of you talk to him. And then in the bottom, and you can do this as you leave, you can write like, what do you think makes them tick? Like, what do they hope for? What do they fear? Maybe even what's their spiritual condition? In those layers, from name to things about them to kind of what motivates them, you're moving from a stranger to an acquaintance to a real relationship. So there's your pop quiz, eight boxes. Now, 
let's remember the lawyer. He wanted to justify himself. Right now, some of you are going, Jay, I would love to do this, but there's like a, there's a park behind my home, so, you know, <laughs> the map doesn't work. Don't be a legalist. The eight closest, some of you are like, I'm in an apartment. I don't know. There's only two. What can I do? I just moved there. What, you know, I don't know. Don't do any of that. Eight. Okay, now how many of you, just quick, quick poll, how many of you can name all the names of the eight neighbors that surround your home? All eight of everyone that's there, raise your hand really high. All eight, really high. Okay, I'm going to call on you. Do you see how my hands went back down? Do you see that? Did anybody see that? I saw it. I can see it from here. You're like, oh, oh, I mean, I'm. Hey, real high, real high. How many? Okay, now, right now, in our church, this has been affectionately called the chart of shame, because it creates shame. So let us review. Can we review briefly? Lawyer says, eternal life, how do I do that? Says, well, what do you think? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But who's my neighbor? Neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Jesus says, well, your enemy is your neighbor. And I'm saying, wow, that's really hard. Let's start at kindergarten. And then when we're in kindergarten, I'm saying, let's use crayons in kindergarten. Because I'm asking not for even love them. This is a deep theological thought. To love someone, you might need to know and retain their name. (laughs) See, here at Exponential, you're going to hear great talks. People are going to raise the bar for leadership, like, oh, cultural awareness. John Mark Comer, he's my friend. He's like, oh, understand the culture, how it's moving, blah, blah, blah. Raising the bar. (laughs) Raising the bar. Get smarter. Try harder. Know things. It's important. Jay's here to lower the bar. I I am, listen, I, I am lowering the bar so low that you can't get under it. Okay, like, like, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm saying, can you know and retain someone's name? Because that's the starting point to a relationship that makes a difference. You guys are all here because you're committed. Like, you flew here. You're in this room. You're doing all this stuff. I'm asking you to do something super basic, and it's possible that Jesus is a genius. possible. That he gave us a way that would transform the entire world. Can you imagine how your city would be different if every believer knew and retained the names of their neighbors, prayed for them, connected to them, served them, and cared for them? That's an exponent. It's an exponent. Exponential impact. (laughs) Each time, eight more are impacted. Listen, before we're going to go do all the other things, I think we should start here. A number of years ago, then when we moved to plant the church, we had this in mind, and we got to know the names of our neighbors. We prayed for them continually, and we, did, you know, we had one neighbor that wouldn't talk to us. They didn't like us. They would kind of hide and stuff. But we knew their names, and we would pray for them. We had this chart on our fridge, and we'd pray all the time for them. One day, my wife wakes up, and she says, uh, I felt like God spoke to me about our neighbors across the street. I had the weirdest dream, and in the dream, 
she came up to me in the street and looked at me and said, I have a pain in my body that I haven't told anyone about and I need your help. And I said, that's pretty specific. Uh, but they don't want to talk to us. She said, well, the next time we see him, we're going to ask. I go, okay, sure, that's going to go great. And literally that day, we're walking outside, and we see her getting in her car, and she goes, right now. I'm like, oh, I don't think she wants to. And this feels weird, you know. So we walk across, and she said, I had this dream about you, and she just blurts it out, and this woman just shouts out. She says, I've had a a cancer diagnosis. I've not told anyone. I don't know what to do. I, I'm afraid to tell my kids. And my wife says, well, Jay and I pray for healing. That's what we do. We're going to pray for you right now. It's like, oh man, this is a lot. So we, right? Wouldn't you feel that way? Just right there in the driveway. So we put our hands on her. You know, there's prayers you pray that it feels like something's happening. And there's prayers you pray that it feels like nothing's happening. This was that kind, nothing. And you're like, you know, she hadn't been coached in the praying thing, so she didn't close her eyes. She's just like staring at us. Right? Because she's not a church person. She doesn't know the rules. So we're, I mean, I'm always like, can you close your eyes? So anyway, we pray. And she's like, great, thanks. She just gets in her car, and I was like, that was the worst. A uh, week later, she went and got a scan. She comes up to our house, knocks on the door, busts open the door and says, uh, the, my, the cancer is completely gone. And she, just like this, she says, how, how do I start to follow Jesus? So now we invite them in. Well, we invite them in, and then her, both her boys come to Christ. Now, her boys come to Christ, and they're with us, but that's over about three years. Then the husband walks over and says, I don't know what you've been doing. You've done the same with my wife, done the same with my boys. I just want to be crystal clear. I'm not doing it. I've been around Christians. I don't like you guys. You seem okay. That seems to be helping my family, but I'm out. I said, that's totally fine. He came to watch his third son get baptized. This is six years later. And I did an illustration with Cortez, you know, where it's, it's, it's a genocide illustration, so I wouldn't use it, but it works for preaching. I didn't think about that till later, just confession. Where they get there and they don't want to fight, so he burns the boats. You hear that? He burns the boats in the bay, and so then they fight. So it doesn't work. But anyway, so I said, baptism is burning the boats. You cut everything and you say, I'm following Jesus. And this guy's there to watch his son get baptized. And I, I go to sit down, and we're baptizing people. He walks over to me and he says, Jay, I think I want to get baptized. And I went, just like this, I go, What? I'd had six years of him just being mean, right? And I go, what? He goes, I want to get baptized. I go, why? Why? Wait. You know, the music's praying. You know, you can't tell if you're hearing. And, uh, and then just like this, tears come down his face. He goes, it's time to burn the boats, man. Okay, listen. I could tell you as many bad stories as that, awkward ones that didn't work. But, but here's what I want to say, and this is how I finish. I don't think... I don't think that we're going to bring the exponential impact into the world unless we obey the simplest things Jesus commands us to do. Though your neighbor is in Africa who's in pain and somewhere around the world and you should care about everything you care about, can you at least start with your neighborhood? Can you start where you are so that, because if we don't, if we turn our neighbor into a metaphor, 
The metaphoric gospel will change our metaphoric cities. When you have real neighbors that need a life with Jesus Christ, and you have been placed there to love them and serve them and know them and pray for them. Love your neighbors. God bless you. Thank you. Isn't that powerful? Oh, that's, unless Exponential Hunt us down, that's going to be on our YouTube channel. Um, and I'd encourage you to re-watch that talk because I found it incredibly challenging and, um, and I think a little bit life-changing in terms of how we're to live our lives. Um, so as we finish... Um, I'd love us to, you know, I'm really proud of Bay Vineyard in terms of like the culture that we've got around not just being hearers of the word, but doers as well. And we talk a lot about the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says it's about application. It's about the people that hear the word and do the word. They're the people that build their life on the rock. And that, that counts for your devotional life. That counts for your formation and your character. But this, as we finish this missional life series, this is about, about living missionally for Jesus about sharing our lives with others. And I just want to, like, I, tell, I love that last story because of the time frames. You know, like, I just think we want things to happen real quick. But I love that it's three years, and then, you know, the, the kids are getting baptized. And I love that it's six years before the, the dad's finally like, yep. Our church hasn't been going six years. Six years is a long time. But that's just that faithful witness, that faithful presence in, in the local neighborhood. And so what I would like us to do as we finish this morning, um, this, I, I feel deeply challenged by this. This isn't my natural strength. And again, that hyper-individualization and privatization of faith. I'm introverted, blah, blah, blah. And I, I've got all, you know, again, I, that, that total zinger where it's like the, 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 the student of the law is like trying to justify himself. Oh man, I just felt so convicted about how much I've justified my life in terms of just living in my little world uh, with my little space. And so uh, I've been deeply challenged by this. And it's interesting since this, I've had to sit with this since March. This is fresh zinger for you guys, but I've been just chewing on the challenge of this for, for a long time. But it's beautiful how like since then, there's just been organic moments, I think divine moments, where I've got to chat with my actual neighbors in a way that I haven't in the past, just out of left field. Just because I think my heart's opened up a whole lot around just wanting to form a genuine friendship with these folks. And so one of the things, the two things I love us to do, one is just practically think about what this can look like between now and Christmas for us in terms of our neighbors. And one of the things with the 100 tables is that um, we've done a journey where we've actually predominantly been, been having tables together, but I'd love this to, to just consider between now and Christmas what it looks like to have at least one table with our neighbors, have a barbecue, invite them around, see what happens. And if that is a challenge, of course it is, let's just pray that it happens naturally. You know, there's a sense we bump into them or something happens that will foster that uh, moment. Um, and so that's the, this, this, the thing that we're going to do as we finish is actually just spend some time praying for our neighbors. Um, and uh, if we don't, like, again, like the chart of shame is really full on. And I'm like, um, so we're going to just lower the bar even further than he lowered it because it was already very low. So it's just an inch off the ground. And, um, and this again, just, just because pastorally, I'm like, oh, she hates a lot. Um, let's shoot for two. Is that all right? Let's shoot for two neighbors between now and Christmas. We can always add, we can always add houses to the chart. But I'm like, let's start with two. Is that all right? Let's shoot for two. Um, so how about we spend some time, and Ramon, we'll stick on some just chill background music. 
And you can pray with someone else if you want to, or you can just pray on your own. Um, but let's just pray, just spend three or four minutes just praying for our neighbours.